We are in the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Or if you have your prayer journal, uh, the book of Romans journal, encourage everybody to get a copy of this. On one side, you've got Romans, and on the other side, you can take some notes. Would encourage you to take some notes this morning. We learned last week that the theme of the letter to Romans is listed in verse 5 when Paul writes that to the Romans that he wants to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. He's writing to the Romans who have already placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had heard about their faith. In verse 8, he says that their faith had been proclaimed in all the world. So he's writing to people of faith, and he's writing to them to bring about the obedience of faith. And we believe that we are going to be studying the book of Romans because what Paul wanted to do to bring about the obedience of faith in the people of Rome, he wants to do again right here in Lilburn, that we would be a people that are growing in obedience of faith for his name, for the sake of the nations all around us. God's brought the nations to us. I love it that we just started a house church with Sudanese people. Isn't that awesome? Five were baptized last Sunday. One gave their lives to Christ just last night as it was started. God wants to bring about the obedience of faith in us for his name's sake, for the sake of the nations, that the nations right here would be reached and the nations around the world. We're a church of nations, reaching nations. So the theme throughout Romans is the obedience of faith. And we're going to see this illustrated today in verse 17. We're going to look at two of the most well-known, perhaps the most important verses in all of Romans, verses 16 and 17. Next week, we're going to look at verse 16, looking at the gospel and salvation. Let me read it for us, verses 16 and 17 in chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We're going to look at the righteousness of God. How is it that the gospel brings about salvation? The righteousness of God is the way in which the gospel brings about salvation. Now, if I were to ask everybody in the room to write out a definition for righteousness, I wouldn't be surprised if I got 50 to 100 different answers. There's a lot of different definitions or thoughts about what righteousness is or the word righteous. How would you define righteous? Righteousness. Would you think of it as holy, 
perfect, God's standards, or maybe God's judgment, his wrath, his indignation against unrighteousness, or maybe you hear the word righteous and you think it's cool, you know, when people say, that's righteous, man. <laughs> or uh, in Finding Nemo, when Crush and the, uh, the, the turtles, righteous, man, righteous, righteous. How would you define righteous? I bet a lot of people would define it in a lot of different ways. Let me give you one definition of righteousness. Most people would say right standing before God. Right standing before God. I'd like to take it even a step further and say it's the right to please God. We don't just stand before God and he's just okay with us. We stand before God and he is pleased with us. He not only loves us, but he likes us. The right to please God. Now we want to look at the righteousness of God. Now most people, people will either love the righteousness of God or they will absolutely hate the righteousness of God. You either love and embrace the righteousness of God, or you absolutely cannot stand the righteousness of God. And this is illustrated in the life of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, one of the greatest theologians, he wrote this about Romans 1.17. For most of his life, for the beginning of his life, I should say, he hated the righteousness of God. This is what he had to say about the righteousness of God in Romans 1.17. He said, I had been captivated with an extraordinary ardor for understanding Paul and the epistles to Romans. But a single word in chapter 117, in it the righteousness of God is revealed, stood in my way. For I hated that word, righteousness of God which I had been taught to understand is the righteousness with which God punishes the unrighteous sinner. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. Paul hated the word righteousness of God because, or sorry, Luther hated the word righteousness of God because he saw the righteousness of God and then he was revealed to himself how unrighteous he was and there was a gulf between him and God and he knew that out of the righteousness of God flowed the justice of God and the wrath of God. I want us to understand the full meaning of the righteousness of God. First, in order to understand the righteousness of God, you have to understand that righteousness is from God. God himself is righteous. God is righteous. It is the righteousness of God. And this is seen throughout the whole Bible. Psalm 71 verse 19 says, Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the high heavens. Nehemiah 9.33 says, Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. God is 
the standard. He sets the rules. And I want you to understand that the word righteous in the Greek and Hebrew, we translate it in two ways, but in the Greek and the Hebrew, it's one word. We can translate it, you'll see the word righteous, and you'll see the word justice. Justice and righteous are hand in hand. They're actually the same word. In the book of Romans, you'll see the word righteous used 40 different times. It's without doubt a theme in the book of Romans. Righteousness, righteousness. In only a few chapters, Paul uses the word righteous 40 different times. It's without doubt a theme. And the word righteous is also used with the word justice. They're the same word. And so when you get the verb of righteous, the verb for righteous is translated justified. Whenever you see the word justified, you could also say righteousified. We don't have that word in the English, but that is what it is. You are righteousified. So whenever you see the word justified, you're actually, it's God's righteousness coming on you. The two words are the same. God brings about justice and he judges righteously. And all of us love justice. I mean, in us, we, we have, we want to see the wrong get punished and we want to see the right get blessed. It's just in us until we are the ones in the wrong, and then all of a sudden we don't want justice anymore, right? Uh, that's just a re I mean, social justice, it's kind of a big thing. Oh, I'm all about social justice. Well, if you really wanted justice, all of us would be guilty, right? But Jesus, is, God is a righteous judge, and he judges righteously. He, he is just in his righteousness. Now, God is righteous. He is the standard. He makes the rules. He is the one in charge. It's Father's Day. I love being a father. And as a father, I like making the rules in my house. I say, Daddy's in charge. Daddy's in charge. Now, Mommy is too, but... Uh, <laughs> Her and I work as a team, but daddy's in charge. And I tell that to my kids. Why do I make rules? I make rules because I don't want Samuel putting his hand on a hot stove or playing with sharp knife. Or this past week we were at the ocean and man, Samuel just loved the ocean. And he would just keep walking in the ocean, walking the ocean. And what he didn't see was with his head down, there was a three foot wave about to crash on top of him. So daddy sets the rules. Daddy says, Samuel, get back, get back, get back. Now, I love telling Samuel that daddy sets the rules. Sometimes, though, I ask him and I say, Samuel, who sets the rules? He says, I set the rules. <laughs> I'm in charge. <laughs> Sorry I asked, son. No, you are wrong. Daddy sets the rules. Daddy's in charge. There's, a, there's this rebellion that's in all of us, right? We all want to be in charge. We all want autonomy. We all want our own way. Which leads us to the second point of righteousness. God is righteous, but we are unrighteous. 
We are unrighteous. Every one of us is unrighteous. And you see this throughout the book of Romans, but particularly in chapters 1 through 3. Remember the outline of the book of Romans 1 through 3, the wrath of God. Uh, 4 through 8 is the grace of God. 9 through 11 is the, uh, the plan of God. And then 12 through 15 is the will of God. Right now we are in the wrath of God. And why is there wrath? Because we are an unrighteous people. Right after chapter 1, verse 17, you get to verse 18. And it reads this way. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress truth. And it goes on to say that all are without excuse, Nobody is with an excuse. God has written the law on our heart. Everywhere around the world, God has revealed himself enough to show that he is righteous and we are unrighteous. And it says that, that we've made images, and it goes on in chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, to say how there shouldn't be any homosexuality. If, in our culture today, people are unfortunately calling homosexuality good, and that is a distortion of the truth. It is complete sin. It is unrighteousness. Don't ever call that righteous. Don't ever believe that it is righteous. It is unrighteous, and it clearly states it in Romans 1, 26 and 27. But it goes on to give further description of unrighteousness in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Yes, that one, just throw that one in there. And it doesn't have an age limit on that either. Not just for kids. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Romans 3.10 says that no one is righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is righteous. He is perfect. He is holy. He is the one who is in charge. He sets the rules. And why does he make the law? Because he loves us. He doesn't want us walking into an ocean and get drowned up. He sets the rules. But oh, we are short. All, every one of us are short. And we all need to embrace this reality. We all need to come to the recognition that we truly are unrighteous. We were born in unrighteousness. Psalm 51 says, 
uh, in sin did my mother conceive me. I was, I was conceived in sin. We all have a sin nature and we're all short of his righteousness. We all need to come to grips with reality. You know, there's that saying, um, men don't have any mistakes. Real men don't, real men ignore their problems. Real men don't have problems. Well, I want to flip that and say, real men don't ignore their problems. Real men recognize their sin, recognize the problem. You see, a good doctor doesn't ignore problems, right? What good would a doctor be if you had cancer and they said, oh, you're fine, go home? No, a good doctor diagnoses somebody correctly. We all need a correct perception of ourselves that we are unrighteous people because it's in recognition of our own sin that then the gospel is great. You see, you see the gulf, and the greater gulf that there is, the greater God's love is. Because God is righteous, we are unrighteous. Now that is a problem, but the problem is filled in actually the righteousness of God. You see, you either love the righteousness of God or you hate the righteousness of God. Those who love the righteousness of God have received the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way that you and I can be declared righteous. We are unrighteous from, from birth. From conception, we are unrighteous. The only way that we can encounter the righteousness of God and have hope of living in the righteousness of God is by receiving by faith his righteousness. And it only comes by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. No works can you achieve righteousness. You can't muster up enough righteousness to all of a sudden be right with God, to please God. It's impossible. It's only by faith. And that's why Romans 1.17 says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is also a theme throughout the whole book of Romans. Righteous is used 40 times in the book of Romans, more than 40 times. The other word that's used more than 40 times is faith. Wherever you see righteousness, you also see faith. You can't have righteousness unless you have faith. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ in order to, if you desire righteousness, if you want to be right with God, you have to have faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus alone was righteous. Jesus was completely righteous. It was prophesied in Jeremiah 23, 5, the days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Jesus said in Matthew 3, 15, that he would come to fulfill all righteousness. 
Jesus said in Matthew 5, I have not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. Jesus was the righteous one of God. And Jesus not only was righteous, but he received the righteous wrath that each of us deserved. He was punished as an unrighteous man, even though he himself was completely righteous. And so he took on all the sins of the world, all the pains of the world on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that's exactly what 2 Corinthians 5, 13 says, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness is a gift, and it's only received by faith. It is not by works. And so this is the good news of Romans 1.17. And it's why Luther, he used to absolutely hate Romans 1.17. He used to hate the righteousness of God. But then he came to the point to where he said these words. He said he hated it. He was troubled in his conscience. But then Luther said these words. Nevertheless, I beat upon Paul at Romans 1.17, most ardently desiring to know what St. Paul wanted. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is the righteousness with which the merciful God justifies us by faith. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered into paradise in, through the open gates. You see, Luther, he used to hate the righteousness of God because he recognized God's righteousness and he knew that he was unrighteous. He knew that he was a slanderer, a thief, an idolater. He knew all the, the list in Romans 1. He knew that he had done many of those things and that he deserved death. And he hated the righteousness of God until he embraced that the righteous shall live by faith, that through faith in Jesus Christ, he could receive the righteousness of God and he could live. And so for each of us, may we know the righteousness of God. May we know his standards. May we know that he sets the rules. May we see his holiness, his greatness. And then may we recognize our own sin, our own depravity. I am so thankful that as a senior in college, I recognize my own sin, the depravity of my sin. You see, I was one that received Christ at an early age, and I was a pastor's son, and I tried to appear as if I had it all together. 
I tried to appear as if I never made mistakes. And then God ripped that mask that I was wearing off. And he showed me the depravity of my sin, that apart from Christ, I would be dead. And I have no doubt that I would be six feet under if it weren't for Jesus Christ in my life. Jesus saved me. By faith, he saved me. The righteous shall live by faith. It's not my own righteousness that I live. It's by faith in the righteous one that I can live. The righteous shall live by faith. You may feel unrighteous, believe in the righteous one. Deaths, okay, the righteous shall live by faith. This is actually a quotation from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Read the book of Habakkuk. It's awesome. One of my favorite prophets, uh, Habakkuk. I'm about to have a, a second boy Habakkuk Hartley, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? My wife's not here. She can't uh, say anything against that. Habakkuk. Habakkuk's one of my favorites. He's awesome. You see, the people in Israel, they were judged righteously by God because they fell short of his standards, and they were exiled into exile. And Habakkuk's pleading with God, God, is there any hope? I know we deserve it. I know we deserve brokenness. I know we deserve to get cast out of the promised land. I know we deserve it. But God, is there any hope? And God answers in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2, God speaks. I love it that God speaks. And what does God say to Habakkuk? He says, the righteous shall live by faith. So Habakkuk, who is wondering, do we have any hope? He hears the words, the righteous shall live by faith. Yes, you can live and not die. How do you live and not die? You live by faith in the righteous one. There will be a righteous one who's coming, and he will live as the righteous one. He will fulfill all of God's standards, and he will receive the punishment of God. So we receive his righteousness by faith. And it's only a gift in God. I was thinking about the righteous shall live by faith. And I was thinking about the opposite of that, right? What would be the opposite of that? The righteous, the opposite would be the unrighteous. The unrighteous shall what? Die. The unrighteous shall die by what? What would be the opposite of faith? A lot of people would say doubt. Doubt, I would not say, is the opposite of faith. What faith is, is the belief, complete trust. We just sang, uh, my hope is built on Christ alone. I trust in him. Um, the opposite of faith, I would say, is self-reliance. Self-reliance. Rather than putting your faith in someone else, God you're putting your faith in yourself. The unrighteous shall die by self-reliance. If you believe you can get yourself to God by yourself, it's impossible. 
If you think you can live by yourself, it's impossible. Yes, money can get you so far. Smarts can get you so far. But ultimately, we all will die. The NBA Finals was just on. Uh, the Raptors beat the Warriors. I was sad about that. But Kawhi Leonard, he was the, uh, the, the MVP of the Finals. He was asked the question, uh, what did you learn throughout this season in the Raptors, uh, this season? And he said, I learned that I can believe in myself. I learned to believe in myself. Now, I don't know. I don't want to say what Kawhi's, uh, he might have just said that flippantly. I don't want to say if he really believes in himself. But I think he's articulating a, a thought that a lot of us have and that culture today has, that we can just believe in ourselves. Oh, just believe in yourself. Well, sorry, Kawhi. Next year, you can believe in yourself all you want, and you may not win the championship. And ultimately, Kawhi, you are going to get older, and you will have to retire. And ultimately, Kawhi will die. All of us will die. The unrighteous will die by self-reliance, but the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is the only hope that we have to live eternally. If you have faith in the righteous one, you can live. And this righteousness isn't just a righteousness that we can go before God and he doesn't any longer see our sin. Romans 3 says this about the righteousness of God. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This was shown God's righteousness. So God's righteousness is put on us. So when God in his righteousness sees our unrighteousness, he doesn't see our unrighteousness, he sees Jesus. And this, this righteousness can be ours. We can then live out the righteousness of God. We don't have to stay in unrighteousness. This is why in Romans 6, you'll see 6 through 8 is all about sanctification. Righteousness not only saves us, but righteousness sanctifies us. Amen? We're not just meant to continue sinning. As Romans 6 says, shall we sin so that grace may increase? By no means. You have died to sin. Don't live in it any longer. So the righteousness of God does save us. We live by faith. It does bring about salvation. But the righteousness of God also sanctifies us so that we can live so that we can be a people that live out the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. Amen? Amen? God wants to sanctify us. He wants to bring his righteousness on us so that we, listen, Romans 5, hunger and, or sorry, Matthew 5, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you want the righteousness of God? 
You'll either love the righteousness of God or you'll hate the righteousness of God. It is impossible to have faith in Jesus Christ and not long for his righteousness to be <clears throat> made known in us. It's impossible. You cannot have faith in Jesus Christ and not long for his righteousness to be worked out in you. The righteousness of God will save you and it will sanctify you and ultimately we will be made righteous, completely righteous before Christ forevermore. Amen? Amen. Do, we, do we want to be a people who long for the righteousness of God? Let's all stand and I want us to step into that today. First of all, I want to give anybody an opportunity in the room. If you have not stepped in by faith into the righteousness of God, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. The unrighteous will die by self-reliance. If you try to do it on your own, if you're trying to do it by good works, coming to church on Sunday, like this will somehow make you righteous you're just lying to yourself. The only way to have eternity in heaven is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to give you the opportunity right now. If you're uncertain of whether or not you were to die right now, if you would go to spend eternity with God in heaven, I want to give you the opportunity right now to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Pray this prayer silently as I pray it aloud. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to do what I could not do. I recognize my sin. I recognize my own unrighteousness. And I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus today. just do one more thing as the band plays I want to call everybody in the room to step into the righteousness of God maybe you have received by faith the righteousness of God that has saved you may I call all of us to embrace the righteousness of God that will sanctify us that will make us more like Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to come forward, dedicate your life, embrace the righteousness of God that you yourself would become righteous, that you would be righteous before the Lord, that you would hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to invite you to come, dedicate your life, say, yes, I do want to be more righteous. I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Come forward as we sing this song.